Addressing the rapidly growing opioid addiction and overdose crisis requires rapid change to addiction treatment. Vital Spark, a Spark Biomedical production, is a thought-provoking, vital resource for addiction professionals, advocates, and patients who want to stay on top of the next wave of opioid addiction recovery options. The show brings together leading industry experts and advocates to explore addiction treatment, research, and resources delivered in actionable, bite-sized interviews. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vital Spark, a Spark Biomedical podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to explore major trends, treatments, technologies, and innovative methods for opioid withdrawal treatment and the larger healthcare industry. So as we maneuver uh, today's conversation, make sure that you're heading to our website, sparkbiomedical.com. Again, that's Spark biomedical.com for previous episodes of the podcast, as well as uh, other pieces of content, including videos, articles, blogs, and more. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So today's episode of the show is actually part two of two on Spark Biomedical's clinical trial that helped validate the efficacy and the impact of uh, opioid withdrawal can therapy. So if you missed part one, probably gonna wanna take a pause here Click out of the page, go find episode one, and give that a listen because we pick up right where we left off in the previous episode. In that previous episode, we sat down with the principal investigator for Spark's adult opioid withdrawal study, Dr. Carlos Torado with Karma Health. And Dr. Torado helped unpack the vision behind the therapy method, its history of validation, and how Spark approached putting together, running, and compiling data from the clinical trial. And this second part, again, picks up where we left off in our conversation by highlighting one clinical trial participant's journey through TAN therapy and how this reflects uh, the positive impacts that this therapy method can have for the entire withdrawal ecosystem by, again, rooting it in personal experience and personal impact. So let's go ahead and jump into part two of two of this conversation. We hope you enjoy. What I wanna do now is kind of within the context of this study, highlight a case study of one patient. Her name is Eliza, and uh, we're actually gonna show some quick video clips from her case study, but if you want the full video audience, uh, you can find that on Spark's website. It's actually right on the homepage if you scroll down. But I wanna highlight this case study from Eliza who made Sparrow a part of her withdrawal treatments. And I think this is really gonna help ground the impact of Spark's approach and substantiate the study with some anecdotal examples. So I have a few clips from this case study video. Uh, I wanna check out three of them that I think really speak to, uh, you know, why validating this treatment method is so critical and the kind of impact it's having on uh, the patients struggling with an opioid addiction. So let's go ahead and play the first clip. I've been through detoxes before. I've been on the taper and I've experienced the pain that it still like causes. And, and I experienced this and it is, it's completely different because you don't have to worry about waking up in the morning and waiting for your taper and getting sick and like all this stuff. Like it's already, it's already making you feel better. Like it's already, 
um, helping you like physically and mentally was one of the things that I noticed because I didn't feel foggy from all the taper meds. Like I just felt clear. And like talking to the other people around here, I'm like, they don't feel like as clear as quickly as I felt clear, which was really interesting to me. So I just found it particularly, I guess, poignant how she drew comparisons to other detox methods and how painful they can be and how quickly this detox method turned into actionable results for her. Uh, so my question for you, Dr. Torado, is how does a less disruptive detox in general, how does that impact not only the patient, but also the entire ecosystem of treatment, right? The treatment staff, physicians, and resources allocated. Give us your thoughts there. Yeah, you know, first, uh, I really want to um, celebrate Eliza for putting herself out there. Um, um, you know, if, if we really think about, you know, what, what uh, courage it takes to be uh, um, um, self-disclosing, right about your condition uh, i can't i can't think of a more courageous step for a person to take so i just want to make sure to recognize eliza um but yeah i would say that you know some of the key things that uh, eliza mentioned which um we, we've touched on a, a bit uh, during this talk is the fact that because this is a non-invasive non-medical uh, or non non pharmacologic uh, uh approach that you're not having to deal with the known uh, adverse effects, right, of medications that are used to treat uh, withdrawal, or you can reduce, you know, the amount of medications having uh, that you're having to use to treat withdrawal. So in her case, um, when she said the taper, right, and it still causes pain, she's actually referring to a Suboxone taper. Right, and I, I kind of touched on that earlier. That's an opioid substitution taper, and what what she's saying there is that even with an opioid substitution taper, she's you still feel discomfort. Okay, so if you can imagine having to mitigate that opioid withdrawal, uh, um, you know, even with or without opioid uh, substitution, it's a it's a great challenge, and not only that, but throughout the entire process she was able to feel, uh, as she called it, clear. Uh, you know, I, what I interpret there is, you know, not over-sedated, uh, not feeling sluggish or cognitively slowed. So, and, and the, the upside of that is that you can participate more fully in uh, the, you know, treatment programming, uh, individual and group therapy, the types of things that are happening when you're in a treatment program like that. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I want to reiterate uh, what you said about Eliza, too. I mean, it is truly courageous to be able to step up and be so vocal, but then also to be filmed and to be, you know, uh, evangelizing uh, a treatment method in the context of your own uh, journey through, um, you know, treatment is, is just, yeah, very admirable. So I, I appreciate you making note of that. Uh, I want to highlight another clip here. Um, this one kind of doubles down on the speed, uh, but I want to just hear in her words how she described the speed of the treatment and then get your thoughts on that as well. So let's go ahead and roll that clip as well. So I think what surprised me the most was how fast it worked um, because I thought maybe like this thing would work in like 
two days or something. Like maybe the first day I was going to feel awful. And I remember even saying to people, I was like, oh, day two and three, like that's the worst. But by day two, it was, I wasn't even really thinking about my withdrawals. And so I think that's probably what surprised me the worst. And uh, the most, <laughs> that's what surprised me the most was that it worked so fast. So again, she was incredibly surprised by the speed. Uh, and she mentioned that in the first clip and again here in the second clip. And I think it really speaks to uh, how effective the treatment is, but also how, uh, how quick the speed compares to other classic treatments and kind of the cycle of feeling better and that initial sense of relief, right? So how does the speed of treatment uh, define its success in this space, right? Is speed needed? Or I guess, you know, if we listen to what she was saying about previous methods, it doesn't sound like the speed of treatment was, um, you know, ever really a given in opioid withdrawal treatment. So give me your thoughts there. How does speed actually play into the uh, ecosystem of uh, opioid withdrawal treatment? And how important do you find speed to be in this space? So Eliza pretty much said it all right there in that clip. Um, you know, she touched on um, the, the, the fact that you know, she had a certain expectation um, of, of, of maybe kind of having to tough it out, uh, especially during the first two to three days uh, of, of, the, uh, of the treatment. Because what it, what it did is that that mirrored her experience in the past, right? When she's had to go through withdrawal or she's had to go through a taper uh, that she had alluded to earlier, that was the expectation that, you know, you might get a little worse before you get better. And it is uh, not fun. It's painful. It's unpleasant. So the fact that she was able to get, in, well, I wouldn't say immediate relief, but relief within that, you know, 60 to 120 minute window uh, really set her up, right, for a positive expectation and experience moving forward. Um, you know, what you know, the frame of mind that an individual goes into a treatment like this with is very, very important. And if they're able to experience a relief kind of on a time scale that they're really not accustomed to, that, that, that really helps enlist them more positively in the treatment process. And, um, and then obviously it allows us to be able to work with them effectively. You know, she talked about, you know, not feeling drugged, feeling clear, a rapid onset of action, you know, those are all things that you want, you know, in a therapeutic when you're treating people who are really subjectively quite miserable. And as I had mentioned earlier, at risk for just you know, like leaving, you know, just voting with their feet and walking out of one of these places. So being able to engage a relief on that time scale uh, can be really critical for some patients in terms of predicting engagement and kind of working through that critical opioid withdrawal treatment stage. Absolutely. And um, this isn't a clip I'm going to uh, play just because, you know, we're running out of time here. But if you do watch the full case study on Spark's website, you'll actually hear Eliza say something very similar where she basically said, uh, you know, when I was first uh, approached with this treatment method, and, you know, I uh, went to the treatment facility. I basically said, you know, all I want is uh, drugs to help me with the treatment. If you're not going to give me drugs, I'm going to leave. And she was just already not 
trusting of anything new and novel in this space. And so I imagine, you know, introducing something that seems so foreign compared to the typical detox method is going to need that speed and that immediate relief to also validate that it's useful to the patient and create that trust that it's worth building into the life cycle of, of treatment. So yeah, great point there. I've got one more clip to show here from that uh, case study with Eliza. Here she kind of explains the overall impact of um, using TAN therapy and how this can create some opportunities for more treatment. So let's go ahead and roll that final clip. Um, <laughs> I, when I first came in here, I, um, oh my gosh, I was so angry and I wanted to leave. I wanted to go home. I wanted to get high. I remember I told everyone, I said, I said, if I'm not getting meds, I'm leaving and I'm getting high and I don't care what you have to say about it. Like I'm going, I don't care. I don't want to be here. And then after like two or three days, because I was feeling like so myself again, it's, I don't know. It's so hard to explain because I literally, when I'm getting high, like I've become a completely different person. So, um, um, the fact that it worked so quickly and I didn't have to like worry about taking like more drugs to like fix the drugs. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, it, um, I finally like feel like myself again. And now I'm like going on to do more treatment, which was not the plan originally. The plan originally was just to come here, um, detox, um, and like after like a couple days of like doing this and just like talking to people and being myself again, like I've made like a huge decision to like continue my treatment onto another place, um, which was like, like my parents are just so like grateful for and um, I'm really grateful for, so. So I kind of dropped the ball on that one, actually. That clip does have the quote that I just mentioned to you earlier. Um, you know, I was confusing my clips a little bit, but yeah, as you can hear, you know, in her own words, she needed treatment to be uh, immediately responsive, and it was, and it built that trust. And I bring this up because uh, she described the domino effect that comes from successful treatment that encourages more treatment and that actually builds a timeline of successful withdrawal treatment. So I'm curious if, you know, do you find that domino effect of treatment uh, important, and do you find it to be particularly potent with uh, successful TAN therapy? Yes, no, why or why not? And I guess how does that kind of factor into what defines successful uh, withdrawal treatment therapy? Yeah, th thanks for teeing that up. I, I, you know, one of the things that um, um, I saw through the conduct of the trial and then you know, the really powerful messages, you know, that Eliza had to convey um, was, you know, getting back to this notion, you know, that, that we have when we're working with people who have substance use disorders, which, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you believe the statistics, you know, Something like one in three of us either suffer from a substance use disorder or are directly in contact in their lives with someone with a substance use disorder. So many stories, you know, to tell around this. 
but when when a person is in um, the kind of the chaos uh, that that these disorders can bring, this the, the need to help that person make what, what's what's you know this, there's a common term in the recovery community, kind of the next right decision, right? It is so critical because. Um, as she had alluded, uh, or, or not, not alluded, she mentioned, you know, she was, she was on the precipice of, of either coming or going, right? She's either going to stick around if things aren't working the way she needs them to, if she experiences too much discomfort, too much uh, suffering, she's just as likely to leave and, and, and continue to use and engage in incredibly destructive and chaotic behavior. So that's the, the, the tightrope that we often walk on with patients who are experiencing withdrawal and who have these really chaotic uh, opioid use disorders and other substance use disorders. So the need to be able to um, relieve that suffering, um, you know, in, in a in a in a quick you know time frame. To as she said, let her true self emerge. Um, you know, from a clinical standpoint, uh, we're talking about an individual who is not racked with pain and suffering and anxiety from withdrawal, who is having overwhelming cravings for opioids influences all of their decision-making, right? The, the, that true self is someone who's relieved of those symptoms, who can actually start making the next right decision, okay? So for me, the, the, the treatments that set people up for success, that help reduce those symptoms, to allow them to get to their true selves, to make rational decisions, not decisions that are based on these overwhelming biological and psychological distress symptoms is where is where we we want to be during this particular phase of treatment. Um, I think she really highlights um, how much can change even from one day to the next in a person's overall outlook and disposition just by relieving those symptoms, right? Just by taking those off the table She's able to make the next right decision, the next best decision for her health, align and ally with her family and treatment providers to try to get to a good outcome. So, you know, I, you know, she she really does such a great job of of, of showing how the lived experience um, uh, really influences, um, you know, her her out her outlook. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, you can see how moved she is at the impact of this treatment. So more props to her for being vulnerable enough to share that kind of experience. And I think, again, it just further validates why this uh, treatment method can be so impactful to solving this, uh, this crisis of opioid addiction and uh, broader addiction um, challenges here in the U.S. So uh, last main question I've got for you here, but uh, now that the trial has been FDA approved 
and uh, you know, we're seeing the use of this therapy, what comes next, right? Is there further validation that has to happen to uh, continue to push it as a treatment method? Are there any other trials coming up? And uh, I don't know, are you hoping to build on top of the existing research in any way? Yeah, well, we, we want to do more research, and we're actually doing more research. Um, we uh, recently received um, uh, a NIDA grant, uh, National Institutes on Drug Abuse grant, uh, to conduct uh, a Sparrow trial um, as part of a, a non-opioid substitution uh, withdrawal treatment protocol that is intended to transition people effectively to opioid blockade treatment. Uh, which I'd, I'd kind of touched on some of those um, um, treatment pathways earlier. So we have a funded trial for that that we're conducting in partnership uh, with uh, Betty Ford Hazelden and, and Gadenzia in uh, Baltimore. And uh, and then, you know, the device itself is um, is uh, being utilized uh, in, 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 the, in the real world as well. Um, we, we're incorporating it and reaching out not only to substance abuse treatment providers, but also to medical practices um, to, you know, uh, hear the story uh, of Sparrow, what it does in the context of the treatment of opioid withdrawal, and how, you know, clinicians, uh, physicians, and other uh, advanced practitioners can incorporate it into their practice for effective management of opioid withdrawal. I think on that note, Dr. Torado, we can wrap up our conversation here exploring the study. Again, thank you so much for your time. We definitely went long here and we explored all of the granular bits of the study and the science, but I think it was really needed to um, make sure our audience understands the rigor that went into the clinical trials and then how the validation of this therapy method uh, is having tangible effects on the, uh, you know, the community of folks dealing with opioid addiction. So thank you again for your perspective. Again, folks, we've been chatting with Mr. Dr. Carlos Torado. He's chief medical officer and founder with Karma Health, and he was also the PI for Sparks Adult Opioid Withdrawal Study. He helped run the prospective RCT double-blind study. Uh, so again, Dr. Torado, I really appreciate your insights today. And if folks want to get in touch, they want to pick your brain a little bit more on this and the future of TAN therapy for opioid withdrawal treatment, how can they get in touch? Sure, you can. Uh, th Daniel, thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, you uh, hosting. Uh, uh, you did a really wonderful job um, helping us get the message out there. Um, you can feel free to email me. I'm at Carlos T as in Tom at Karma Health, C-A-R-M-A health.com. Feel free to send me an email. Perfect, easy enough. All right, Dr. Torado, thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure and I hope to pick your brain some more here in the future. All right, take care. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Vital Spark, a Spark biomedical podcast. We appreciate y'all tapping into the full insights here on our clinical trial. Uh, for more information on this trial, you can head to our website, sparkbiomedical.com, and uh, you can find plenty of other resources here validating not only the science, but the therapy method, and you can find more content, including Eliza's full case study on our site. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just look up Vital Spark, and it's sure to pop up. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode of Vital Spark. <laughs>